Twin Lights Brewing was founded as a community-centric, environmentally-minded family operation which seeks to source and honor local ingredients, push the boundaries of the science of brewing, and spread the kind of joy that only comes from drinking beer crafted from the heart. With an ever-rotating selection of beers on tap, a family-friendly tap room that welcomes children of all ages as well as dogs, and a large, comfortable space to host all kinds of events, Twin Lights is designed to bring the community together in new and exciting ways. Visit Twin Lights Brewing at 4057 Asbury Avenue in Tinton Falls, New Jersey, and follow them on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on their newest releases, merchandise, and special events. Twin Lights Brewing, the official beer sponsor of the Review Podcast Network. Good afternoon, Cannon Potter Podcast. On January 31st, at 0800 hours, an unmarked box truck carrying a special case of 3VR Gorovka will be arriving at the port of Keyport. KGB operatives plan to steal this shipment in order to reverse engineer the recipe and reclaim it for the former Soviet Union. This would be catastrophic. Your podcast, should you choose to accept it, is to discuss the Mission Impossible franchise and come up with an elaborate, an overly complicated plan to prevent the theft. Masks optional. As always, if you or any member of the Review Podcast Network should be captured or canceled, the Secretary will disavow all knowledge. This message will self-destruct in three, two, one. Welcome back to Canon. As that intro has probably warned you, today's episode is all about the Mission Impossible series. Uh, we are recording this uh, in January because just days ago, the latest Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, that's right, Dead Reckoning, no longer Dead Reckoning Part 1, that's right. was released on Paramount+. Plus. So now is the perfect time to go over this series that dates all the way back to 1966. So uh, here we go. My name is Ed. I'm Matt. And I'm Pat. Welcome back, everybody. So as we said, it goes all the way back to 1966, which many people might be surprised to, to find out because, you know, people think about the original 1996, Brian De Palma, Tom Cruise uh, movie as starting the series. But as we talk about that first movie, we have to talk about how closely connected that first movie is to the series. And in fact, the three of us just finished watching one of the episodes of the original series, which is also available like all of the movies on Paramount Plus. The first, you know, we only watched the one episode. It was surprisingly good. I might actually go back in my free time and just watch more of those. I really enjoyed it, actually. <laughs> and when you watch that show, you realize just how much they borrowed. So much. For the movie. So it's, much. It's not <laughs> just a random adaptation. You know, like, yeah. they didn't just take the name Mission Impossible and, and slap it on a movie. There are elaborate masks, the same theme song, the intro is the same. You know, like, you might notice that in all the movies, 
uh, the intro with the music shows you scenes from later on in the film. The TV show did that with every episode. The whole vibe is the same. They use a lot of the same like technology that's like just a little bit too far ahead. It's it's the same like yeah. scenario. The theme song is what really gets me, especially when you think about how much music has changed in since yeah. 1966 and continues to change. Not as many bongos, as right? Like the fact that at least for the first, bongos you know, bongos. <laughs> <laughs> at least for the first few Mission Impossible movies, the theme song was. Note for note, yep. exactly the same. Like, it's just, I mean, a testament to whoever the fuck wrote it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so getting into how the, the first movie sets up and, and builds on the TV show. Wait, we should specify real quick. This is going to be a two-part episode. Correct. Because there are seven fucking movies in this series, plus a fair bit of fodder that we're going right. to talk about. So we're going to split it into two episodes. So unlike Dead Reckoning, this is actually a part one. There, <laughs> there will be a part two. And you know what? Before we get into the episode, let's start off with uh, tonight's drink of the podcast. Um, as always, um, we drink something from one of our sponsors. Tonight's sponsor, Twin Lights Brewing. Uh, one of their recent um, releases is Country Cream Ale. It's a 4.7 um, alcohol by volume. It's in this great gold and black can if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, let's crack it open and see what we think, boys. <coughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Behind me to get it. There we go. So, Pat, what do you think of this one? Smooth. Yeah. Balanced and refreshing. I don't think I've ever had a heavy on the cream cream ale, but it's very drinkable. It's very light. It's like normally you think of county cream ale, you almost think of something like a stout or something where you like you like slowly have it. Or this is this is yeah. I expected dare I say crushable. Yeah, I expected it to be uh, milkier. If that makes sense, like thicker. It's good. I, yeah, I really nice. enjoy it's this. It's a more crushable Guinness. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fan. Bill would like there this. There we go. That is the official drink of the podcast, the County Cream Ale from our friends at Twin Lights Brewing. But yeah, let's get into it. So John Voigt plays Jim Phelps. So from the very beginning of the movie, we are introduced to a character who is on the TV show. So it's a different actor. But John Voigt is playing a character who anybody who had seen the show... Throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s, because there were two iterations of it, uh, they would have known Jim Phelps, and I think that what helps like drive the surprise and the twist, right? Is because not only does Jim Phelps first die, and so if you're watching the movie, he's the only guy you know, so you're shocked right off that. But also, um, him being a traitor also throws you for a loop because you would watch two TV series where he was the ultimate hero, and of course, uh, the first clip I'm going to play. Ooh, we have clips. For we this have episode. clips. Yes. Um, yes. Shows you it's how in the notes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was. I was just gonna say. Ed. Ed just handed me the document, yeah. and as as usual, this is the first time I have laid eyes on it. You better document. hope it doesn't explode. Baby. And I write it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something that was in the show. Like like we right? watched that first show, and the, you know, like so we're about to play a clip from where a Jim Phelps a video that he watches on, on first class in the plane um, blows up. But also like we just watched the uh, we just watched the. Um, TV show, and they do different um, ways of giving him the mission in every episode. But in the first episode, it's a, just a regular record that he goes to a place, he listens to the record, and the record then kind of burns up. So, but, but here we go. So this is the first clip, and this is something that's that goes back to the TV show that's in every movie, this kind of style. Yeah. 
As always, should you or any member of your IM force be caught or killed, the Secretary will disavow all knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. I just like that because they're like so deep undercover. They don't even have like CIA has a Langley, right? MI6 from the Bond movies. They have like this big building right on the Thames. Yep. Like they are so undercover. They don't even meet anywhere. They're just a guy who has to like get a mission from some random jabroni on the street. It's so great. And it's like I, I, I've always loved that opening scene of the first Mission Impossible movie because it. It, it's it's like looking into a time capsule a little bit, right? Because for starters, he's smoking on the airplane, right? It's like yes. 1996, and he's still smoking on the airplane. Yep. Which makes you like 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 we we forget like our generation forgets just how far into the 90s you could still do that kind of shit, right? Um, but then like yeah, the woman is coming by the the flight attendant right is coming by with like actual video cassettes for him to like watch for movies right and it's just like it's i just i just love everything about that scene because like it's just very spy crafty right he's on the plane when the when the tape self-destructs little smoke comes out of the side it's just like everything about that scene is so well done it reminds me of like i going off a little bit of bioshock how it first started is yeah. a guy on a plane with a cigarette and it has like a retro feel to it right I totally it, it really is yeah it's like dimly lit in the plane you know yes. like it's just and like so many i mean i mean, I mean are, so are we let's get into the first movie right like i just like yeah the, the first movie still holds up yes to this day very much it's arguably despite the fact that these movies somehow like since the fourth installment have gotten progressively better like raising a bar and, and and setting the bar like every time like the first one is still if not my favorite my second favorite of the series like it's such a well done spy actiony thriller like even though there really isn't a lot of action in it but it's like well acted john voigt like he he plays such a good bad guy like such a good bad guy the guy that plays kittredge his name i'm forgetting like i love his role yes thank you like max like everything about it and like like and that's where you start like it's the first time you get to see Ethan Hunt kind of like really kind of come into his own a little bit. And like yes. Emilio Estevez just like randomly there. That, that is a bit his, of a waste. You like, know? like getting his eyes stabbed out. From like, so here's a question that I have always had about that movie. And I've seen the first Mission Impossible movie dozens of times, yeah. right? The opening scene, the opening like, you know, uh, mission, right? Where the, everything goes wrong and the whole team mm-hmm. dies, right? What the fuck are those things at the top of the elevator shaft that John Voight calls down on the computer? Like, I've never understood. Everybody else's death yeah. makes sense. I've never understood what the fuck those little claw things are. That they, and like, and maybe they're just, up, and then they come right. down. And, like, maybe yeah. I just don't know enough about elevator technology. Like, yeah. maybe if there's an elevator electrician or whatever in the fucking stratosphere listening to this. I've never known and i could probably just google it but i've never known what the, like it's never obvious what those little like claw they look like wolverine claws that like come down and stab immediately left the best in the eye. made a great death it, it made a, a great, great death. death like it really was and like one of my favorite scenes but uh, no, i'll stop talking about it is when he gets back to the safe house and he takes the light bulb out yeah. and he crushes it and lays it down as a way to hear if somebody's coming the broken glass like, i just like shit like that i just love well that's well that's kind of 
uh, a recurring theme is that like so he's always part of the IMF which seems to be ridiculously well funded and like is always has like the latest in technology but also they're constantly disavowed or like time. having to like you know like be un- or be against their government or the government doesn't trust them or there's there's so many um people <laughs> who like are double agents well, they that make- they always have to revert to this like old school spycraft because it's almost like Jason Bourne like he's always out on his own. Well, they make that joke in they make that joke in in, in Dead Reckoning when like the I, f- I forget the the character's name, but he's like Ethan Hunt always goes rogue, like every fucking time. It's like you you could almost hear him like being a movie critic, like oh another movie where Ethan Hunt goes rogue. <laughs> I mean, it's even funny with uh, Ghost Protocol, which you know I changed my tune on, but like the name itself, Ghost Protocol. I'm like, you know, I rewatched it today and. They're like, oh, we are on Ghost Protocol. I'm like, that's what you do every movie. Yeah, right. You are on Ghost Protocol. Like, like this movie. is not new. Now it's just more of you. Yeah. This, right. like, Ghost Pro- is normally Ethan. Ghost <laughs> Protocol is Monday at the office. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's – and this actually – so just jumping ahead, and this is the only – because we are going to go in order. The only thing I want to jump ahead is there is a retcon of sorts in um, – Dead Reckoning. Yes. Where, for the first time, they get into Ethan's past. Yes. And they talk about people making the choice, and they talk about how many, if not all, of the agents in the IMF seem to have some sort of criminal background or whatever. That's one retcon I like. I don't I don't want to talk about too much about Ethan's past. I kind of like that he doesn't have a past, you know? But I do like that they get into that, because it does explain why so many of the agents go rogue. Like... Almost every problem that the IMF solves throughout every movie involves an IMF agent. See, would, right? you, would you even call it a retcon, though? Because when we're first introduced to Ethan Hunt in the movie, yeah. um, you know, like Luther Stickle aside, right? Because yeah. Luther Stickle does not start as an IMF agent in the first one. He's, well, he's, he's a disavowed he's a, IMF agent. Oh, that's right. He was already yeah. disavowed, right? And then he was a criminal. Mm-hmm. But like... But see, I don't even know if you could call it a retcon. I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you, and I like the fact that they mentioned it. It's but like, something they had you never really tell about. Exactly, yes. right? Like, they never really touch on right. it. He's just sort of there. Yeah. You know, like, the, the most backstory we get from Ethan Hunt is actually in that fucking comic book. Yeah. It was probably cut from the three-and-a-half-hour version of John Wood's <laughs> Mission Impossible 2. We totally would have gotten it. But Mission Impossible 1, right? It's a former IMF agent. Yep. Uh, or, or un-IMF agent. Jim Phelps goes bad, right? Um... Mission Impossible Two. It's an IMF agent. Yeah, who is bad. Yeah. Yep. Mission Impossible Three. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is helped by rogue elements of IMF. Yeah. Right. Like, time right. everybody and by Billy Crudup. Yeah. IMF exists. It's it's almost just like it's great job security because they are constantly creating their enemies. So everything. So the entire Mission Impossible franchise is just one giant metaphor for the government. It's like a loop. The government is like the cause and solution to all of its own. It's problems. a loop. The IMF right? is like, a loop. Like <laughs> they they create the problems that they have to solve. I never really yeah. actually thought about. Well, that. Well, think about right. it. In the James Bond series, they live for Queen and Country, mm-hmm. <laughs> and James and Mission Impossible are like fuck the government. <laughs> <laughs> they live for money. Everybody's in it for fucking money. It really is, dude. Every everybody's really in it for money, except for like you know the the guys in Fallout and uh, um, and uh, Rogue Nation. Money yeah. and anarchy, really. right? Like, yeah, God. But yeah, so so let's get into. It. I mean, there are so many things about the first Mission Impossible that I love, but one thing I love is that um, I don't know if you remember this specific moment, but there, but 
um, there's a flashback where um, when Jim returns, right, and um, Ethan Hunt is trying to like piece together, flashing back to the night where everybody died. Yeah. There's a flashback where they're, they shoot different versions of what might have happened. Yes. Because in his mind, he is trying to write away whether or not Claire was involved. Right. So it, I love that little bit, too. Like, the movie is so well shot. It's, it, I think it's so, um, it, it's so underappreciated for that. Because, like, originally he thinks, oh, well, Claire could have helped Jim. Right. But then they flash, oh, no, Jim could have done it by himself. And so all this stuff. And I love also what I love about that flashback is it shows that as soon as Jim Phelps appears, he immediately knows Jim is the bad guy. Yeah, he starts putting all together immediately. Yep. And then when he sees the knife, you know, he makes a connection with, like, Krieger and how it's really all connected. Like, yeah. yeah, no, that, I mean, that's why the first one is, it's just such good spycraft. And hey, let's yeah. shout out Brian De Palma real quick. Mm-hmm. It actually, like, you know, there was a lot of directors that were, that really wanted to get involved in the first one. And Tom Cruise at the time is perfect because he had a lot of power yeah. going into it. He was 34 at the time, but he's worked with Scorsese beforehand and Sidney Pollack and all these people and uh, Brian De Palma's like flair and like you didn't need an overt action director. He, you know, he did blow out. He had Scarface like this was in perfect hands. And I think the success yeah. of the franchise kind of squarely lands on De Palma almost. Obviously people are going to say it's Tom Cruise and yes, yeah. you obviously could say that he carried the torch, but the, the fuse is lit, so to speak, by Brian De Palma squarely, yeah. I think. Not the writers. Yeah. Really, it was in the good hands of a good director who's been seasoned and knows what to do. No, you're absolutely right because, like, there's so much. There are so many, like, iconic scenes from that movie. Like, that movie gave us, from a director perspective, right, gave us big action scenes. but. Yeah. Then, it, but he had a way to make them not feel as big as they were. Like, even like from the very beginning, right? That scene where he where he, he meets with Kittredge in the restaurant, right? The host yeah. like you're in Prague, right? Red light, and green he, light, red light, green light. <laughs> yeah. And he chucks the the exploding gum, which is such a great bit, right? It's great. And like that scene where he's like, you know, like because it was in the trailer where he's you know dr- running from the all the water in that weirdo yeah. the fish restaurant, tank. the fish yeah. tank, yeah. Right? like the. Three story, like it was such a great scene, and then like even like the train fight scene, right? Like yep. not it, like it wasn't over the top. It was like very self-contained. Like it was just big action, but on a smaller scale. Like so, I agree. Like Brian De Palma, like really set the tone. Like that movie was so fucking good. And I believe it also set the tone for only big directors can handle these kind of movies. You yeah. can't have a new guy kind yeah. of do this. Yeah, you need a certain yeah. amount of skill to do this. Like in a, and then and then of course, you know, the 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 theft scene, right? From the Right. Where he has to language. steal the other side of the knocklist from right. the CIA vault. Like how many times from yeah. like 96 to like 2005 for the next decade was that scene like parodied and like recopied, right? Like everybody. You I just know? don't think anyone yeah. is like that was the biggest scene that it, it spawned mm-hmm. off like, you know, like Austin Powers and like I said if, yeah. if you can be parodied, you did something very big. Right? Same and as Scream yeah. with Scary Movie mm-hmm. and like any other parody of spy movies. Like you can even say, you know, um, The Kingsman or whatnot. Like anything that came for that is really from Mission Impossible. And it really set the scenario that each one of these movies has, right? Each one of these movies has some sort of elaborate, skinnier teeth type 
theft or deception. It's part of the skeleton. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that, like, so like in this one, you know, like, and they create the perfect type of room where it's like temperature controlled and sensitive floor. Yeah. And they have to go in and, and like, there's all these little things. And like, yeah. it's also part of the thing that is that like, so like every mission, and this is something that goes back to the TV show is that every mission has a slightly different team. So if you watch the TV show, like they have like three or four people who are in every episode, but there's a couple of people who are like, oh, well, we need some guy who has like a perfect memory. We need a guy who knows computer code. So like in every like episode, there's like a new member of the IMF force, like who joins the team yep. just because they need to handcraft the teams because it's, it's very mission oriented. Like James Bond is just, you know, like he often gets missions, but it's often just like he is facing like, you know, he, he is going on a mission against the same specter in all those movies. He's always like, he's like, things just seem to find him, all this stuff. Whereas like Mission Impossible is just like, they have to do this A, B, and C. And, and they kind of know going into it, we need this type of skill set. And they keep on bringing back like a lot of the same people, but right. oftentimes you have brand new people. I don't know, Ed, man. You just brought up Spectre. Mission Impossible has its own version of Spectre, and it does come from the original series, yes. The Syndicate. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Which which is the which is the which only are t- also a bunch of disavowed. Yes. yes. They're all I mean, no. It's, it's like, all like just, yeah. It's and like, I'll and I'll slap that yeah. all day every day. Yeah, I don't care. I don't no, care. I mean, it's, you could. What I would love is you know because and they do have a couple of scenes where they have like congressional investigations or things like that. <laughs> I, would, I would love if there was a if there was a congressional like hearing once and it's like there was just some like junior congressman just being like, but if you didn't exist. Villains wouldn't exist. Yeah. It's like you, you know. It's just like it's like the. Do we Bat- want to talk about Batman? Bat- Batman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. the Batman argument. Yeah, it's yeah, just like, like you know, like nobody be wearing clown paint if you weren't wearing a mask. Yeah. Like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? The no, Batman that's or the Joker, what, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's it, you know, it's it's just. Uh, but uh, yes, so the first one just great, and then I also like the ambiguity of the ending because you know, yes, he um he goes through hell, and obviously. IMF disavows him and then he gets reavowed and all this stuff. And then he gets a was mission. That, was that the technical term for it? Being reavowed? Um, you know what? I'm going to say it. I, I don't know if they've ever said Revowed? Unavowed? Unavowed? Undisavowed? Disavowed? No, they, they, it, they renew their vows. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I agree. I love the. Renewed that, the vows? Right, exactly. No, I agree. I, I love that ending too. It's like the same. He's on the plane. Yeah. Same thing. How about the cinema of the of the Ukraine or whatever it was? Yes, you know? and it's exactly. Like, and he gives that look, you know, and then the music yes. plays. Because like, then, like, you know, it's, it's, and it's also kind of like. Him coming like to now he's the new Jim Phelps, you know, right? He, he's in the same scenario. Yep, yeah, he's kind of like taking like taking the baton. And then four years later, we get uh, Mission Impossible Two, which so okay, I'm, directed, re- I, I'm yeah. so ready. I'm so, so it's directed ready. by John Woo, and I think this is the one we might talk about the most about because this movie's so fucking bad. It's. Uh, in my opinion, it is the weakest of the series. Also, easily, it is unanimous. It's the most, yeah, yeah. easily. It's, it's it's so different. So what it is is it's like. John Woo is very much like Wes Anderson has become, where John Woo has a, uh, has a very particular style. So just like you watch a Wes Anderson movie, you can't compare it to anything else. John Woo, his action movies, they always have doves. They have like a certain type, like a lot of motorcycles, a lot of slow motion. Um, this is a John Woo movie. It's really not a Mission Impossible movie. That's what that's what I want to say. It yeah. It, it has the least amount of connections to the rest of the series. That's why they go to the yeah. auteurs. You yeah. Know? Which which 
so that can be good. Like I think I think that that's something that Marvel could do better with is having you know like James Gunn. You know like his movies stand out. Like there are certain Marvel movies that have a different vibe because of the director. Like but for the most part, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. But for the most part, like Marvel is like a TV show where like they have to copy the style of the other shows. Marvel could deal with more of this. I feel like this is always an argument that maybe it's better to just have a style of movie because. It just stands out in not a good way, Matt. So it seems like you're ready to pounce on it. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, so okay, listen. This it this movie sucks for a number of reasons. <laughs> the least of which is uh I mean, god, Where do just, I so, start with the suckage. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's it the the John Woo of it all is just hard to swallow sometimes because again, like seeing I mean, just oh god, the fucking I, I just had like a it was like having a PTSD flashback right where the the final scene where like uh, Doug Ray Scott's character and he's like picks up the gun and hunts guys back and he's like you should have like Ethan Hunt and just he just beaten them in hand to hand combat and he spared his life and he goes you should have killed me or he's gonna shoot them and then like the the scene pans to the gun in the sand right. And he sees the gun, and he kicks up the gun, and it comes up in midair, and he grabs it and turns and shoots the like sand. all before, right? Like it's such, like it's just such contrived nonsense. But here's what I want to talk about: I submit that this movie is not canon to the rest of the series. Go on, because here's the thing: the only, the only thing that really, I mean, aside obviously from Ethan Hunt, right? Yes. The only thing that really kind of links it to canon is Luther Stickle, right? I mean, yes. I guess they mentioned the IMF, right? But Luther Stickle, because he's in all seven movies, him and Ethan Hunt and Tom Cruise, right? They're the only characters, Ving Rhames, that, that are in all seven movies. Right. But everything else is different, right? There's, there's, It's almost as if nothing from the first movie had ever happened. The Ethan right. Hunt in this movie feels like a completely different Ethan Hunt than any of the other movies, right? Like yeah. you can easily say you can easily see the connection between Ethan Hunt of the third movie and the first movie, but not the second movie. He's completely different in terms of like his character. And then you have this you have the the Zoe Zaldana like Bond girl. I'm sorry, it's not it's not Zoe Zaldana. It's uh, uh, Thania Newton. Thank you. Um, the uh, I gotta get canceled for that. That's a little bit racist. I, I can get yeah. canceled for that all, one. All light skinned um, black yeah. actresses look alike. How shit, dare you? Shit, sorry, right? Um, and you like you, but, you but have seriously, the, Matt will not be appearing on part two of this episode. <laughs> you have you have the Bond girlness of it all. With I her, I do right? I, I yeah I don't like the like the the, the Bond girl nature because it's something that stands out even more after the other movies. Is Way because, more. Because in the later movies, he has, like, love interests that transcend movies. Right. Whereas in this one, like, she's not even heard of or mentioned again. Yeah. And she's a classic Bond woman in the sense where she's, like, some ancillary, th- um, like, 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 cause like she gets tied up in right everything because of her romantic relationship. Like she's like that. Like she's not even an agent on her own. And and and, yeah. and 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 just she's like a thief. and just like the the Bond girl element. Like when Bond would romance a, a girl or a woman, whatever, in the in all of his movies, right? It was like to be expected. The, the means to the end. Really. Yeah, like yeah. the the. The feelings that Ethan Hunt seems to have developed for her character do not feel genuine no. at all, and and then Anthony Hopkins like they they allude to the fact that he's 
the, the secretary, secretary yeah. right? But again, that kind of like, especially when you think about it in the context of Dead Reckoning and the rest of the movies where Kitridge eventually is there, right? And you had Alec Baldwin as the secretary. Like the fact that Anthony Hopkins is just there for right. one movie, presumably as the secretary, no explanation about what happened to Kittredge, and then Hopkins is gone in the next movie, never to be seen again. Yeah. Everything just feels very out of place for it. And like you never see any of the other members of his team. Like Thandy Newton's character is never referenced again. Like none of it. It, it all just feels so far again. There's no hard and fast thing that you can point to that'll say it's not canon. It just feels like it's not canon. And last fun fact about this movie, Mission Impossible 2 is the reason why we have Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Go on. Why? Did you guys, are you guys not aware of this? No, no. no. So Mission Impossible 2 came out in 2000, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously being produced cast, written, filmed the same time as the first X-Men movie was. Yes. Doug Ray Scott, the villain in Mission Impossible 2, was the original. He was cast as Wolverine. Oh, he was cast not yoked enough. Wolverine, not yoked enough. But he, exactly. But he dropped out of, and it's also one of the biggest career blunders of all time, right? Doug Ray Scott dropped out of X-Men to film Mission Impossible 2. Hugh Who could blame him? Was Who could blame choice. him, though? Right, exactly. At the time, you probably think, like, here's this untested franchise. Yeah. Comic book movies were not very successful at the time, or Mission Impossible, which wasn't a franchise by any means, but the last movie was at least profitable. Uh, but yeah, Doug, Mission Impossible 2 is the reason why Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. So something good came out of it. Something good came out of it. But, but and, I fucking yeah. hate this movie. And just like Matt's um, rant, just... Uh, it was a rant, sorry. Uh, just kind of proved to us... <laughs> The series then, like, so then there were six years in between two and three. Yes. and Because two was so two bad. Two was bad. And J.J. <laughs> Abrams, um, who I think is a phenomenal filmmaker, but not a good director. I always mm. forget. I can, like, like, I think. I agree. I, I always forget I, he directed three. I love, I love when he's involved in things. Like, I like him as a writer. I love him as a producer. I like when you see bad robot productions, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm in. The feel <laughs> of what he does, you know, like there, there's so much about him uh, and his work that I really love. Like, but just from a director point of view, I don't think he's the strongest director. And he directed this movie though, and this is, I think, his best movie. I think, Agreed. I think, I think, I think his reboot of Star Trek was was is a close no, second. Yeah. Uh, but those That's are the, those are the only two of his movies that I feel like are really good. Is that, I always forget he directed Mission Impossible yeah. Three because there's I also not a like lot Star of Trek lens flares. Two's Into the Darkness. It's, but, Star Trek Into, yeah. Into the Darkness is, is okay, and the third one which he produced I think is the best of all three. Yeah. And I, what I think it is 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 because what I'm going to get into is that like he sets up a great world, and then once a, another director was able to work with in the world he set up, they, they nailed it. Very much like George Lucas, right? Yep. Like, Fuck, Lucas, you're right. You know, like, Lucas, yeah. like, yes, he did amazing stuff with Star Wars, but you put a, another director in the world that he created. I hate to it. interrupt, but there is a little bit of cannon fodder I would like to... No, go, go, go for it. it. So George Lucas had some input into Mission Impossible 1. Do you mind how I... No, no, go for it. So he had input. So um, there was supposed to be a love triangle between Ethan Hunt, I believe Claire and Phelps, I guess. Well, there was kind of one. There kind of was one. They did. They filmed it. They filmed it. That was part of the script. That was part of the story. And um, George Lucas 
yeah chimed in he goes you need to take that out because it takes away from the story and it ended really? up coming because of george lucas actually i like that because yeah what it is is so it's implied that he has strong feelings for her she's mm-hmm. a good looking woman but you know it's it's it, it's what's interesting is that you know she has she is married to his best friend correct so it's something that he didn't even think of until his friend dies and in the midst of all that he can't move on her and you're like he just doesn't have time and or like his emotions but you're right i think it would make him a less lucas was right rather too it would make him a less uh relatable protagonist if he betted her i feel like or, or vice versa it blows my mind too that yeah. you say that because like i now i'm like thinking like i do agree like abrams has a vision but not like a good director you know phenomenal um, writer phenomenal producer Still, CC Force Awakens. Still, <laughs> still, still and good, Rise of Skywalker. Still <laughs> I just think he's better in all the other roles. Right. And Same as George this, Lucas. Yeah. Uh, you know, Empire yeah. Strikes Back. Building. Not directed yeah. by him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like Lawrence this Mission Impossible three though is his strongest movie. I first off, it definitely saves the series. Um, yeah. You know, it introduces introduces a couple characters that are big going forward. So of course, Simon Pegg as Benji Dunn. Simon Pegg from here on out is in every movie. Uh, he becomes like the third member of that team, the core team, uh, along with uh, Luther Stickle, which is good because it having Tom Cruise only have one friend is kind of weird. Having multiple is good. And then, of course, Michelle Monaghan as his wife, uh, Julia Mead, who is in multiple movies as well. You know, th- that's really uh, a great choice. But the biggest addition, and he's only in this movie, is Philip Seymour Hoffman as Owen. Like that, he's such a great villain as own David. I feel like Mission Impossible Three. I rewatched it last night. It's like it's almost like here's the recipe, and you're like, well, there's like a tablespoon of this, tablespoon of that. It's just like they pretty much season the soup with their heart, yeah. and there's just so much of everything. Like the beginning of the movie, like me and my girlfriend rewatched it. And at the beginning, it feels like a Nancy Myers movie. It's like warm. There's the emotions, uh, best of my love. Like it's just, it draws you in and the camera angles are so nice. They're, they're not close. They're like mid, mid length and it goes through the whole movie. And I think the pacing is great. The time so is actually good, yeah. slightly over two hours yeah. and they do a good job of like getting through. And I think it's, it's very much a comfort film movie it's a comfort movie you know it's i can go back to it every time and enjoy it and is it the best by no means is it a little disjointed in some ways yes but in does it hold up to other ones no because there is more there it just seems like there's more of a direction in a lot of the better movies as we know but mission impossible 3 there's there's no one could say that it doesn't have a place in your heart where it's yeah. like if you were to watch it in sequential order like some people that are finally signing on to mission impossible which are younger than us like just didn't have to experience it like that but mission impossible 3 you really don't need to watch one or two to feel the way you feel about ethan hunt or probably yeah. the way yeah. people generally feel about tom cruise and this character three really is this jump off point where you're like i think this guy may not be a psycho and i actually kind of like that guy this one <laughs> this one crawled so that the others could walk, yeah, or run, yes. you know, like, yes. like, 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 th- like the other ones are better because they build off of this one, which I think is what you're getting at. Like, and, and I could, couldn't agree more. It kind of set the scenario that everything else built off of. And I had never seen Philip Seymour Hoffman in a villainous role before, mm-hmm. but like, dude, he scares the shit out of me. The opening, so, the opening sequence. So matter of fact about dude. what he is. 
what he wants to do and how he feels about you. Yes, like it's just like there are it's it's a it's a bit of a of a like a cliche the way he plays that that villain, right? But he does it so fucking I well. I disagree it doesn't almost. Make you feel he, like that. He gives it with a don't give a fuck attitude. Yeah. Like he's in genuinely intimidating where he plays the only sociopath, I would say. Yeah. I guess that's true. Like yeah, the only true sociopath. Like it's uh. like he's not the guy with a plan. He's just the provider, which is yeah. actually interesting compared to yep. the villain from Rogue Nation and Fallout. You right. Know? And I and I love how like the he's dispassionate. The stakes for three feel like it, it's it's the same as one, but it somehow feels different, right? Because in one, right, the whole team dies at the beginning of the movie, yeah. and in this one, right, like. The whole the whole beginning sequence of the movie is the rescue scene for his uh, like his protege right yeah. is um, which is played by uh, Felic- no uh, Felic- Carrie Felic- Russell Carrie Russell Felic- it was the show yeah, well because was, right. and, and that that's why JJ Ames was so good about directing the opening sequence with right. all the family stuff is Felicity was what yes. really made him and regarding it, Henry like all these like more emotional type stuff and it's like very it, good very and good. you you don't. Like you don't think she's gonna die, right? Like you right. think they're they're gonna make it. She's just then, too big of a name, right? Like right? you know. And that scene where it's just like 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 you really start to feel the stakes. Like when she dies, right? She's like like Ethan, I and like, Can like, we talk Ethan, about like the eye? So they visceral. they do it four four different scenes. They show the it's eye. So and my good. girlfriend was like, Do they have to do that? I'm like, you gotta be <laughs> and invested. It's, and it's the like the abrupt like head tilt too like right? oh it's it's so it's, ethan thank it's you oddly, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's oddly a much more visceral death than like a headshot no it really or, like, is an explosion. like tom wilkinson yeah it's because it's because it's yeah yeah exactly it's such a it's rest so in peace visceral it's just yeah. well because they had saved yeah. her they were on the yeah. chopper they'd yeah. gotten away they had saved her and I, then just like she's dead I also love the technology of that little bomb in there. It's, it's like, so good, that's how yeah. it would. It's like, it's not going to make your head explode. It's yeah. so tiny. Any explosion yeah, in your brain is going to disable you. Exactly. You know? No, and it's, it's so, and, and, and one thing about the movie that I think like puts it in a different um, level is that his type of villain only works because now uh, Ethan Hunt has a wife. Right. Right. So he's so like, that's why it's so well written. This is all the J.J. Abrams of it. Is that like setting up the pseudo retirement, having Ethan Hunt have a wife? You know, like the Owen as a villain is only a good villain if you have points for him to push. Right. And like him having a wife makes Ethan vulnerable in a way. And then this also sets up a theme that actually plays out all the way through till Fallout. Totally. Is, and even a little bit in Dead Reckoning is that like. It's always the personal relationships Ethan has that makes him vulnerable, which is something that's kind of in one, but those personal relationships are uh, false. Mm-hmm. Like right, right, like like Claire and uh, Jim are um, are playing him. So those relationships, he has transitory relationships in two, but in three we get the beginning of like this like pseudo friends and family unit, and that is his biggest. Um, vulnerability going forward is that he cares about his team he cares about his his wife and he cares about you know later on cares about rebecca ferguson's character elsa like he 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 becomes somebody who is only weak 
because Tom Cruise can do anything and, and will never die. And that's how it defines his character yeah. yes. leading up to now. And also, yeah. I would argue, you know, upon rewatching all of them, is that in three, I would say Tom Cruise does his best acting as Ethan Hunt, actually. You know, even the opening scene where, you know, Owen Davian's counting down from, from one to ten. Yeah. Like... I never, Tom Cruise has not had to act like that for Ethan Hunt since then because it's right. all the emotion yeah. of having in the present of having a genuine love interest and a genuine present wife yeah. to drive him. And I think he crushed it. This is a guy that's also acted with Stanley Kubrick, Paul Thomas Anderson. You know, this is a that's the only time now he's pivoted into an action role actor, right. which is we still he's still eat that slop. Yeah. But like yeah. fuck, he really he, he's I never still thought about an that. actor yeah, actor. Right. It's his best performance as Ethan Hunt. And people right. will say three is not that good. There is a lot of intangibles in there. He is an underrated actor. It's a probably the like, best acting yeah. movie. Would yeah. be yeah. Yeah. Phil We're just talking yeah. about it. See I think he, the only reason people think that three is not that good is because they're comparing it to everything else that came after, because yeah. we'll talk about this in the it next It doesn't have episode. the big set pieces. Right. right. All the other ones have these, like, giant set pieces yeah. where, like, Tom Cruise does something that no normal actor ever does on camera. And we'll talk about right. it in the next episode, yeah. too, right? Like, uh, four through seven, Ghost Protocol through through Dead Reckoning Part mm-hmm. One, or just Dead Reckoning, whatever, right? They, they are very much one story. Like, it's yeah. very much one story, where the first three, well, because two really isn't even part of it, right, are, are, are a little bit different. But, I mean, like, three also really, like you said, sets the stage because it brings you back to the spycraft element of it, too. Yeah. Like, two has, like, barely any spycraft. Three has, like, that scene where they break into the Vatican, right? Like, like all of that shit is so well done. I think it's at the point, too, where at the time with him with Scientology, K. Holmes, people were like, I wonder if Tom Cruise can act and not ruin his career. Right. Now we're at the point where it's like, can Tom Cruise act and not actually fucking die? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, we're going to get we to still that. Yeah. Eat the, the, yeah. it's like we Like, you know, we discussed before, and it's three is the definitive movie of... It, it's one of the most important movies like that kept reset. the frame. It's, it's a reset. I don't even know if it's I, a reset. We wouldn't have a... I mean, obviously, was well, that a reset? Obviously, a, you wouldn't have a fourth out of three. It's a rethinking. What I mean is, it's a it's a change of direction. Sequels without a three, like yeah. like, like this three would have like, killed like, him like, if like it sucked. Yeah. Right, it's three, a, it's it would have re- died on the vine. Yeah, and like you know, we would have seen Chris Pratt as Ethan Hunt. Yeah, actually, you know, just like, a as a genuine remake. question, it's not ill prepared. Huh? Like, is J.J. Abrams still involved? And now he, he produced He's the produced next couple ones, but not no longer involved. But he did produce the next. I mean, we'll get to Chris McQuarrie, which fuck, I love that guy. But yes, the so, fodder for yeah, so this Matt's going to, so we're kind of towards uh, the end of uh, of this first episode. So we, we've covered the TV show, all three. Comic. So here's a, here's a, here's what we're talking about here. If you're watching on um, on so YouTube, sick. so sick. And for those of you who follow NJ Free Blockbuster, you might have noticed that our Twin Lights location. That's correct. The Review Podcast Network sponsors uh, little free library style free blockbuster boxes that are supposed to just have movies. And we, we sponsor them at, at various locations throughout Monmouth County. One of our locations is at our sponsor, Twin Lights. And recently, people have started putting in books there. So what I'm going to do is, um, after this episode, <laughs> I'm going to put in two of our pieces of fodder. So if you listen to this episode, uh, this next week, uh, go to Twin Lights Brewing. Uh, well, I'll put them in there um, the week of the 29th here. Uh, we're going to put in, first off, Mission Impossible. This is a 1960s era uh, trade paperback released in 1967 and it is 
it is a original story that is based off of the original first season of the TV show, and everything about this book is very much like the like the pilot. It it has masks, it has little technology, it has a team of, of it, it's great. So if you want to have some fodder, we have the Mission Impossible book, and then of course we have a much more connected piece of fodder, which I'll also put in the box, which is. A 48-page spectacular, the Mission <laughs> so Impossible uh, comic, which is Marvel Presents Paramount Comics. So Rob Liefeld is one of the artists, so the guy who created Deadpool. Um, Co-created. It's two uh, stories um, that are both official prequels, and Tom Cruise um, consulted on this. Like, he actually, Rob Liefeld yep. uh, talked about this on his Instagram, which is how I heard about that. About how you know, like they made some uh, changes to the book because of Tom Cruise. So the first story is a prequel to the Jim Phelps Ethan Hunt team. Yep. So you have them and Claire working together in Russia on on a on a job, and at the end, it goes well, but the government doesn't want to fully arrest the bad guy, uh, and that kind of gives Jim Phelps some disillusion, which of course leads to the movie. You know, like it's it's one of these things where. You know, he's now been doing this for how many years? Since the 60s, right? And he doesn't like how the government is letting bad guys go. And then, which is apparently what the IMF exists for. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the second storyline is how Luther Stickle got disavowed. So there are two really good uh, prequel stories because they're definitely canon. They show up. And then we'll, we'll post some photos of the, um, of the artwork. But, like, Tom Cruise looks so huge. <laughs> He has that he like lo- Liefeld upper like body. <laughs> it's so Liefeldy. It's like so Liefeldy. And, and and but yes, one thing I can't stress enough is that if you even remotely like Mission Impossible, I think you should go on Paramount Plus. It's free, you know. Like yeah, you can watch on Paramount Plus if you have the if you have that subscription. How much they borrowed and how well an adaptation the the movies are of the TV series really is. It's yeah. the same thing, and then. This also gets into what I want to talk about next episode. This will be my little teaser. I think this Mission Impossible series is going to go on forever. I would love to see a 60s prequel with Ooh. the IMF. You know, like with that style. Because also, I feel like in my mind, everything that happened in the TV show is canon. Like the IMF has just been around for 50 years. Yeah, I mean, because you, yeah. you could easily make the argument like in the prequel movie, make you, you can show how the Jim Phelps character yeah. – from the show turns, you know, there you, to, go. you know, because it's whatever, whatever, whatever causes him to to betray the IMF and turn heel, whatever. Exactly, you, know, you could easily show that. That's and I would, I would love for them to make that comic, at least the Luther Stickle and yeah. Krieger story, into another prequel movie. Also, that would be great because I love how the comic shows you. Um, a little bit about how when Luther Stickle was an IMF agent before he got disavowed, and same with Krieger. Like, yeah. that would be fucking awesome. I would love to see that. But yeah, so look for both of these. They will be in the Twin Lights location of the nj free blockbuster box and yeah so that's the end of part one everybody um stand by for part two but until then my name is ed i'm matt and i'm pat and this this is cannon Cannon fodder